So we have to be careful on both sides. We have, that's why Paul calls church for love, not just knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Paul says it again in 1 Corinthians 13, that if, I, that if I do everything, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and I don't have love, I'm just a bunch of noise. If I give my body to be burned, he says, and I don't have love, it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't matter how much you may disagree with someone, you and I, you and I both have to maintain love in our hearts for that person. Even if they are violating a thou shalt not in scripture, it never is an excuse for God's people to be void of love for each other. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. tonight and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. I want to start tonight by asking you a couple of questions. And before you, before you answer the question, because sometimes we ask each other, we ask ourselves questions or we're, or we're asked questions, sometimes we're real quick to answer. But before you answer, I don't want you to answer audibly, but before you answer out loud or in your mind, I want you to think of what the Bible says about it, okay? First question, should Christians go to movie theaters? Second question, should Christians mix bathe? Swim, boy and girl swim together. Should Christians participate in that? Now, we can think of some reasons why neither one of those things could or could not be the case, but we, but we want to think on a spiritual, scriptural level. And we could come up with all kinds of other questions, couldn't we? Should Christians do this? Should Christians do that? Should Christians listen to music with drums? Should churches have drum sets in their, in their auditorium, in their worship center? Rebecca's looking for a set of drums for us now. So, I mean, should Christians have drums and live instruments in their worship center? And the point is that I think that, the, that those particular questions, when you really think about it, it, I think you'll probably agree that no matter where you come down on it personally, we would generally agree that the questions, those particular questions, the Bible is silent. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not go to a movie theater. The Bible does not say, thou shalt not mix bathe. The Bible does not say, thou shalt, have a, not, thou shalt not have drums in your church. In fact, on that one, I could go take you to the Old Testament and show you the exact opposite. They used drums and worshiped to God in the Old Testament. But we, would, but we would generally agree that those areas of the Bible is silent. And this goes with, with any area of spirituality, church, in which the Bible doesn't speak. But as we uncover God's direction in our lives on areas where the Bible is silent and eat, like eating meat offered to idols, we have really no clear direction. There is no thou shalt or thou shalt not. 
So we had in that direction, we had in that way, we had no clear direction. And at that point, it becomes a matter of the conscience. And how the Lord Holy Spirit directs your conscience of how you are directed through the Word of God. And church, but the point is this, to violate the conscience is a dangerous thing. The conscience is God's warning system. And the area that we need to remember when we deal with knowledge, when we deal with conscience, when we deal with things in which the Bible is silent, what we need to remember is that we need to remember love. And the reason that is the case is because we can have all the knowledge in the world. But knowledge, Paul says, will only make you arrogant if it is not coupled with love. We began looking last week together in this text. So we started by point one, the case stated. And that says the case settled, but it's supposed to be case stated. And we said to you last week in this area that that we understand everybody that's been a Christian any length of time, most Christians, even most people that are born in a civilized society realize in their heart of hearts that there's only one true and living God. We understand that. And everybody in this worship center tonight understands there's a, that there's only one true and living God. And so if somebody sat down a plate of meat in front of you that had been offered unto an idol, you and I probably wouldn't have a, a problem eating it. Because you and I realize that, as Paul said, an idol is nothing. We know that there's that there are only imaginations or conjurings of men's thoughts. But those gods are not really true. That any god that that meat would have been offered to is a false god, has no power, has no way to infiltrate me. Because remember, they believed back in the time of Paul that the, that the gods, that the demons, infiltrated the meat. And so the best way to... Uh, to alleviate them from coming inside you was to offer that meat to them. And perhaps that would alleviate the demonic powers and they would rid themselves off the meat and they would not infiltrate your body as, as you ate. And that was part of their paganism. But you and I in a civilized society, we understand that's not the case. That's not the case. But what, remember what Paul says um, in verse 7. But not everybody has this knowledge. Not everybody understands this. Not everybody understands because of their background. Whatever background they may have come from, they may not have the understanding on certain things that you have. And so what we need to be careful is in the exercise of our Christian liberty, we don't cause a weaker brother to stumble. That's the case stated. Now let's look at the commendation settled. In starting in verse 8. Notice what Paul says. Okay, so we've got the case. The case is there's meat offered to idols. You and I understand that an idol is nothing in the world, that these so-called gods are not really gods at all, and so the meat that's offered to them isn't really doing anything to you. But not everybody understands that. Not everybody understands that. It's like the Christian that thinks it's a sin to go to a movie theater. And I know Christians that believe that that they think that it's a sin to go to a movie theater. But I also know other Christians that don't think that it's a sin to go to a movie theater. So where do you, so, so how do you settle this? Well, by the time we get to this chapter, Paul settles it for us, doesn't he? Paul kind of settles the issue for us. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 8. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither, if we eat, are we the better, Neither if we eat not are we the worse. Now, Paul, having already stated the case, 
that everything that we do needs to be born out of love. If you are a mature, if you are more mature in the Lord than someone else and their conscience will not let them do something that your conscience will, what do you need to do? You need to handle that with love. And, notice, and, and look what Paul states. He uses the word commendeth, and that's an interesting word. The word commendeth there means to place beside or to place near. And Paul's point is this, that neither eating meat nor not eating meat is not going to draw you closer to God or make you more approved of Him. Doing things that are not forbidden by God has no significance in our relationship with Him. There are things that are spiritually neutral, and food is a good example of that. Now, common sense will tell you, folks, right, that there are certain things you probably shouldn't eat, right? Probably not a good idea buying to eat tar or my sister's cooking. Probably not a good idea, okay? Probably not a good idea to eat things that you are allergic to. Poor Jamie Snyder came up to me on Wednesday night. He said, Pastor, he said, I did it. I said, what did you do, son? He said, uh, I, for the first time in how many years? Four, five, five, okay. I couldn't remember how many years he told me. He said, for the first time in that many years, he says, I ate a, he says, I ate a steak. Most of you all know that Bryce and Jamie had a, had a, a, a beef uh, allergic uh, reaction. If, if it doesn't have feathers, they can't eat it. Is that, is that the way it was? Well, Bryce got over his. Jamie says, for the first time in four, five, six years, he said, I ate a piece of meat. And I said, how did it go, buddy? He said, tasted wonderful, but I broke out in hive. He says, so it's better, but it's not all the way gone yet. But he's on his, he's on his way out the door. Now, next time Jamie goes to eat a piece of meat, he'll probably be pretty skittish about doing it. But his common sense tells us that there's certain foods we probably shouldn't eat. You know, if you eat peanuts and it causes your throat to close up and well, you probably shouldn't eat peanuts just as a general rule and so being careful about what and how much we eat is something to be considered but listen church in itself not eating certain foods or eating certain foods has absolutely no spiritual significance in fact somebody told me one time says well i am a vegetarian I said, well, that's good. I said, but the Bible says in Romans chapter 14, verse 2, that the only people that are vegetarians are people that are weak in faith. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Vegetarian is a word for poor hunter. That's good. I'll have to remember that. Vegetarian is a word for poor hunter. But notice what Jesus says in Mark 7. Jesus says, there is nothing from without a man that entering into the man that defiles him. But the thing that comes out of him, that is what defiles the man. And Paul similarly told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. I like that verse. Nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Church, listen, food makes no difference for Food's sake, for ceremony's sake, or for God's sake. However, it can make a big difference for the sake of the conscience of some of his children. And this can go on either side. If someone's conscience is bothered by a certain course of action and they see someone participating in it, 
then the temptation is to believe themselves to be more spiritual because they don't do these things if we're not careful. And if someone's conscience doesn't bother them on a certain course of action, and they know someone who doesn't practice those things, especially if that person who doesn't practice those things has the previous mentioned attitudes, then the temptation of the person that is doing those things thinks the other person to be legalistic and judgmental. So we have to be careful on both sides. We have, that's why Paul calls church for love, not just knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Paul says it again in 1 Corinthians 13, that if, I, that if I do everything, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and I don't have love, I'm just a bunch of noise. If I give my body to be burned, he says, and I don't have love, it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't matter how much you may disagree with someone, you and I, you and I both have to maintain love in our hearts for that person. Even if they are violating a thou shalt not in Scripture, it never is an excuse for God's people to be void of love for each other. If you look at the Ten Commandments, for example, the first five commandments have to do with our relationship to God. And the second five have to do with our relationship to each other. And Jesus summed it up in Mark 23 or Matthew 27, I'm sorry, or Matthew 23, where he said, this is the first and great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So what was out of the mouth of Christ, church, what was his synopsis of the law? One word, love. Because without love, obedience doesn't mean anything. Because without love for Christ and love for each other, the only reason you're obeying the law is to get in good with God or, or to be blessed by God. But that's not out of love. And the temptation is on both sides to think one person is less spiritual and the other person is judgmental. My freshman year in Bible college, I went to a particular Bible college that was absolutely um, against any type of music in church other than the piano. No guitars, no violins, certainly no percussion, piano only. And I'll tell you, folks, I'll be honest with you, that I did not share that opinion. I obeyed that opinion because I was a student in their, in their, in their college, but I did not share, as, as the Lord had convicted me, I did not share that opinion. But I will tell you, Bonnie, I was the victim of much ridicule. I was the victim of much judgment. I felt judgment by those people whose stand was nothing in, in church, nothing in chapel of the, of the college but a piano. And I felt very judged because I did not share their opinion. Listen, church, I tell you that sad story to tell you just to remind you of this. Whatever you do, do it with love. Do it with love for people. Love will speak volumes when they won't listen to your theology. Because if they don't know that if they don't believe that you love them, they won't listen to your theology. They'll call you a hypocrite and keep going. People are not spiritual based upon what they chew and what they swallow. And at the same time, people are not unspiritual based on what they chew and what they swallow. Look what Paul says in Romans 14. 
For the kingdom of God is not what? It doesn't have anything to do with that. You're not going to heaven because of what you eat and drink. And Paul brought that up because the Jews had strict dietary laws. And they made those dietary laws part of being right with God, part of inheriting the kingdom of God. And Paul says the kingdom of heaven doesn't have anything to do with meat and drink. But what? Righteousness, peace, joy in what? The Holy Ghost. And so Paul says, listen, it doesn't matter whether you eat or whether you don't eat. It's not going to make you closer to Christ. Now, can we apply that into some areas today? Are you willing to say that if somebody goes to a theater or somebody doesn't go to a theater, that they're either more or less spiritual? I don't think we can make that determination. If you have the conviction that it's wrong for a Christian to go to a theater, that's great. That's wonderful. But you hold that conviction in love. If that's the way your conscience directs you, wonderful. But you hold that conviction in love. And you don't hold it over top of somebody's head as if they're less spiritual than you are because they don't share that. Because that's a secondary, non-essential item that the Bible doesn't have a clue, that the Bible doesn't give us a clue by saying, thou shalt not. And if you have that conviction, that's wonderful. Great. But you have it with love for other people that don't share it. Because if we do that, then we have a whole lot less fighting in the church, don't we? We have a whole whole lot less time of people getting their feelings hurt. If people will just maintain love. Listen, there are non, there are not, you know me well, there are non-negotiables. There are non-negotiables. There are things that you cannot deny and be a biblical Christian. And we've gone over those a plethora of times. I don't need to do that again. There are non-negotiables. Going to a movie theater isn't one of them. Okay, mixed bathing isn't one of them. Now, you can come with all kind of moral reasons why you should or should not do that. All I'm saying is it's a secondary issue and it doesn't hit at the heart of the gospel. So keep it with love. Keep it with love. Number three, we see a condition structured. Now it is agreed that whether someone does or does not eat meat, it doesn't bring them closer to God. That's Paul's point in verse eight. Now Paul lays out a condition. He says, okay, Here's the issue. Here's the case. We know a God is, we know a false God is nothing in the world. That these so-called gods, they're nothing in the world. We understand that, but not everybody has that knowledge. Because when they eat, if they don't have that knowledge, they eat that meat as a thing offered to idols and their conscience is violated. He says, but whether you eat or whether you don't eat, verse 8 doesn't make you any closer to God. Look what he says in verse 9. Be careful. Take heed. Lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Paul, Paul's orders that he gives from the Holy Spirit that in our lives, liberty, in our liberty, we should be careful not to harm the conscience of the weaker brother. It is true that eating does not make us closer or farther away from God, but we must always be mindful in love of the weaker brother. We must always be mindful of that. If an immature believer, for example, sees us doing something that bothers his conscience, his spiritual life can become harmed. And we, as potentially 
the more mature believer, we should never influence a fellow Christian to do anything from which the Holy Ghost, through that person's conscience, is protecting them. For all believers, we need to keep in mind, and I'll keep repeating this, that love and knowledge must go together. Love and knowledge must go together. When knowledge is by itself, it's arrogant, but when it's accompanied by love, it edifies. And it is certain, probable, that from this text we can deduce that Paul detected an absence of love in the conduct of some of these Corinthian believers. Because the temptation, church, of the more quote-unquote mature believers is to try to convince those that it's okay to practice this. You've all seen people do that. You've all seen people with your own eyes try to convince a weaker brother or a person whose conscience was was harmed by this action or whose conscience was telling them they shouldn't do it, try to go, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Well, I, well, And here's the excuse. Well, pastor, I just don't want them to be bound to those thoughts. I don't want them to be bound by the thought of that something is wrong when it's really not wrong. Somebody told me that one time when I looked at them and said, well, perhaps that's not the case at all. Perhaps it's your conscience that's bothering you. But you want to do this, and bringing somebody else with you solidifies your permission to do it. So beware. Beware. But irregardless, church, we are never to drag with us one whose conscience has convinced them that something is wrong. And if you love God properly, and you love that fellow believer properly, then you'll do just that. That'll, that'll be, the, that'll be what you, how, you, how you operate. Because our right to legitimately do something, hear me clearly, our right to legitimately do something should never be a hindrance to a fellow believer. Paul says that our liberty should never be a stumbling block. It should never be an obstacle in the way, that's in the way of somebody's relationship with Christ. I've even had people, uh, Blue, get, get, just in frustration, well, I don't know why they get so offended at that. I don't know why they get so offended. Well, it doesn't matter why they get offended at that. And if you were operating in your knowledge and love, you wouldn't care why they were offended in that. If that's the way their conscience dictates them, then that's the way, then that's the, way the Holy Spirit has led them, irregardless of what you think. Our attitudes or actions should never be a hindrance to a weaker member of the church. Now, there are, are those things that you would do that someone else would not do that doesn't bother them because they're spiritually mature themselves. But Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about the weaker brother. Simon uh, Kissmacher in his commentary said, the, the members who promote their right to be free are exerting undue pressure on those whose conscience restricts them from eating certain kinds of meat. These, <laughs> these freedom-loving Christians of Corinth needed to demonstrate love by not offending a fellow church member. But notice what Paul says in verse 10. Okay, He says, beware. Yeah, you've got liberty, but be careful that your liberty doesn't become a stumbling block. That your liberty, that your right to exercise this doesn't become a stumbling block to someone else. Verse 10, for if for if any man see thee which hath knowledge, we're talking about the mature, quote-unquote mature believers, right? If anybody, 
If any man see thee which hath knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? You see Paul's point? Paul's point is that the mature believer doesn't have any problem with this because they understand what Paul said in the first part of the chapter, that an idol is nothing in the world. We could eat that meat. We don't accept the pagan practices. We don't accept the pagan beliefs. And as a mature believer, we're okay because we have that spiritual knowledge. But if a Christian who has a conscience that is weaker sees a mature believer eating the weaker brother is likely to be tempted to go against his own conscience and eat it himself. And that could be dangerous for him to go against his conscience. Look at what he says in verse 11. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother, what? Perish for whom Christ died. Now perish there is not talking about eternal punishment, but it's talking about coming to sin. The Bible says him that knoweth to do good and doeth not him is what? We cause the person to sin by leading him into a situation that he cannot handle. Listen, the, the, the point is this. The, the action itself may not be sinful. But what makes it sinful? Because it goes against my conscience. That's what Paul says in verse 10 and 11. Whenever you violate your conscience or cause someone to violate the conscience, still doesn't make the action wrong. But it is wrong for them. And it is sinful for them because they have violated their conscience. The action of eating meat is not sinful, or the action of going to the movie theater is not sinful. But if their conscience tells them that they should not be going to a movie theater, and they go to a movie theater just to shut you up, then what have they done? It then becomes sin because they violated their conscience. Your Christian liberty must never, church, be used at the expense of a Christian brother or sister who is, who because they've been redeemed just like you have. Because the, because the voice of a Christian's conscience is the instrument of the Holy Spirit. And if a believer's conscience is weak, it is because he is spiritually weak and immature, not because the leading of his conscience is weak. Conscience, church, is, the, is God's doorkeeper to keep us out of places where we could, where we could find harm. And as we mature, conscience allows us to go to more places and do more things. Obviously, we're talking about the non-negotiable secondary issues that the Bible doesn't speak about, thou shalt not. That's obviously what we're talking about. Because we have more spiritual strength and can make better judgments. When my oldest son, my boys, you, every, all you all know my boys, my, well, my, especially my older three boys, not, not so much Zach, uh, Pastor James and uh, the, uh, the AV director over here, but the first three boys, they love guns. They're, they're, they're crazy. They're crazy about guns. I mean, Kevin came, in here, Kevin came in here Wednesday night. He had a new clip on his gun that was obviously, Bonnie, not original to the gun. And I said, Kevin, is that a new clip? He said, yeah. I said, how many bullets is that thing? How many rounds does that thing hold? He said, it holds 24 rounds. Boy's crazy. Boy's crazy. They got AR-15s. They, they, they got it all. They got it all. And they love them. They love knives. They got all kinds of knives. They got switchblade knives because they're legal in Virginia now. They got switchblade knives. They got, they, they... But you know what, Bonnie? 
When they were two years old, I didn't let them go to bed with an AR-15. I didn't let them go to bed with a butter knife, much less a switchblade knife. But as they get older, the restrictions get removed. Why? They're more mature, and they can make better judgments. And on these secondary issues, as you and I come into knowledge... Our conscience through the voice of the Holy Spirit will allow us to do more things because we become more mature and the restrictions start to get in roof. Now, you need to understand me. I'm obviously not talking about things that are between righteousness and unrighteousness. It's, it's very clear Paul's not talking about that. We're talking about things that, are, that, are, that, that, that the Bible is silent on. There is not a thou shalt not. And as you grow in the Lord, because you'll find, uh, you'll find, most of you all will find in your Christian lives that, you are, that your conscience will allow you to do things now that your conscience did not allow you to do when you first got saved, perhaps. And that doesn't mean that you are less spiritual. It may mean that you're more spiritual and that your conscience is allowing you to do more because you're more spiritual, you're more grown in Christ. Because what you're doing is not sinful in and of itself. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit, want, through, the, through your conscience, wanted to, protect, wanted to protect you from that. And as you grow in knowledge, as you grow in maturity, just like your children, the limits are expanded. And we should never, church, expand our actions or our habits beyond what our conscience permits. Never. And those mature believers should never encourage, either directly or indirectly, anyone else to do it either. Look what he says in verse 12. But when ye sin so against the brethren. You see what he said? What did Paul call you talking someone whose conscience told them they could not do that? What does Paul call it when he says that you've encouraged them to defile their conscience? What's Paul call it in verse 12? He calls it sin. He calls it sin. It's not only sin on the person's part for violating their own conscience, but Paul says it's sin on your part for encouraging them to violate their conscience. But when you sin so against the brethren, you wound their weak conscience. Now get what he says. Ye sin against who? Christ. It takes on a whole new level when you and I realize that when we encourage someone to violate their conscience and to do a particular action that their conscience says they should not do, that we're sinning against Christ. Not just against that person, but sinning against Christ. Causing a brother to stumble, folks. Causing a brother to, to be offended and to stumble over this conscionable action is a sin not only against him, but is a sin against Christ. John MacArthur said this, We should be eager to limit our liberty at any time and to any degree in order to help a fellow believer. A brother whom we should love and a precious soul for whom Christ died. That action should not be so important to you that you would willingly and knowingly violate somebody's conscience, not by encouraging them to do it, but by letting them see you do it, which indirectly encourages them to do it, Paul says. Right? That's what he said in verse 10. If, they, if, somebody's conscience is, if someone's conscience tells them they can't do that, but they see you as a mature believer do it, you are indirectly encouraging them to do it. So beware. So beware. Remember I told you the illustration last week. I'll give it to you again. Let's, take, let's go back into our minds to first century Corinth. 
And you get saved out of paganism, where they would offer meat to idols and then eat it. You get saved out of paganism, and now you're a member of the, of the, of the only Christian church in Corinth. And you've got a friend who is still stuck in paganism that you want to win to the Lord. They invite you over to dinner. Well, you grab a mature believer that's in the church. Say, hey, I'm trying to lead this friend or coworker or family member to the Lord. They've invited me over for dinner, said that I could bring somebody with me. Would you go with me to help in the evangelism? Because they're immature, they're young in the world, they don't know anything. So let me take a mature believer along to help me witness to them, perhaps lead them to the Lord. You come in, you all sit around the dinner table. And the missus comes out of the kitchen with a great big plate. And she sits down in the middle of the table full with ribeye steaks. Uncle Donnie, that's good eating. The weaker brother here says, "Um, where'd you get that meat? Oh, let me tell you. I got it I got it for a steal down at Asteroth's temple bargain basement. We got an issue. I just got saved that paganism. What does Paul say in chapter eight? He says, verse seven, not everybody has that knowledge because if he eats that meat, he's eating it as it's offered to an idol. Because even though he knows there's only one true and living God, that practice is still very real to him. And his conscience tells him he shouldn't do it. What does he do? He leans over like everybody would do. He leans over to his mature Christian brother and says, we got an issue. I can't eat that meat. And the mature believer looks up and says, shut up. You want to lead him to the Lord, don't you? Yeah, of course. Well, how do you think you'll lead him to the Lord if you offend him by not eating his wife's cooking? Shut up and eat the meat. What have you got? Church, listen. I'll tell you what you've got. You've got sin. Because that mature believer is trying to convince the weaker brother to violate his conscience. And if that weaker brother follows the advice of the mature believer, well, he wouldn't lead me astray. If he does it, it must be okay. He violates his conscience, eats the meat offered to idols. Now he sinned. Folks, listen, you should not even, listen to me clearly, you should never even violate, you should never violate your conscience, even if it means leading someone to the Lord. You say, really, Pastor, let me tell you something. You should never, it is not a good idea for you to walk into a bar doing evangelism. That is just downright silly. And there's no place for, for a child of God to be. And I think we can probably have some biblical proofs of that. You know, like avoid all appearances of evil, things like that. But you never violate your conscience. And I don't know, I don't know of many Christians whose conscience would not tell them, don't go in there. Number four, the concluding statement. Paul wraps it up with this statement. Verse 13, wherefore? And whenever you read the Bible, whenever you come across the word therefore or wherefore, it always does what? 
It always points back to something that's previously been said. He says, wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will do what? I'm not going to eat any meat so that I don't make my brother to offend. Paul says, in regard to doubtful things, a Christian's concern should be not to exercise his liberty to the limits. Well, I really don't care what you think. I have liberty. No, you don't need to worry about your liberty, folks, as much as you need to worry about your love. You need to care more about the welfare of the brother in Christ than you do practicing whatever, the, whatever it is you want to practice. And Paul set the example. He says, if eating meat makes my brother to stumble, I'll never do it again. Because he was so concerned that he would not cause another brother in Christ to sin, that he would be willing enough to give up a permissible diet in order to not offend a brother. Because your Christian liberty should not be that big of a deal. And if your Christian liberty is that big of a deal, then it's a good chance that that Christian liberty is sin in your life. Let me tell you what I mean as we bring this to a close tonight. In deciding whether or not to participate in any doubtful things, now again, I want you to keep in mind, what I've been talking about tonight are doubtful things. Okay, uh, for example, I know, that, I know Christians that think that it's wrong to have a Christmas tree in your home. Okay? We have two in the church, so we are really unchristian, aren't we? But I know believers that, that truly do believe it's wrong to put up a Christmas tree. That's the way their conscience directs them. And I would be wrong to try to convince them otherwise. So those are the doubtful type of things that we're talking about. In fact, on that Christmas tree, John MacArthur said that that, 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 that is certainly we should not fight over doubtful things. But here's a good checklist. But one principle, though, that I want you just to consider... And that's this. Write this down. Remember this. Etch it in your brain. If it is doubtful, it is doubtful. If it is doubtful, it's doubtful. If you have to go through a painstaking search of whether or not you should do a certain course of action, then that's probably the conscience telling you not to do that course of action, so it stops right there. If it is doubtful, it's probably doubtful. In fact, the reformers had a relative, a regulative policy that said, if the Bible doesn't permit it, it forbids it. That was the relative principle of the reformers, Calvin and Luther and all those guys. That may be your conscience. If it's, if it's doubtful, it's doubtful. So that may be your conscience, so don't do it. But here's a checklist, okay? Just, just a little ideas. Excess. Excess. Meaning, is the activity or habit necessary? Is it necessary? When somebody comes up to me and asks me, should I do this? What does the Bible say about this? Or should I do this? The first, and it's, a, it's one of those doubtful things. The first question out of my mouth to them is, why do you want to do it? What's the reason? What's the purpose you want to do that? Uh, I, want, I, want to, I want to get the back of my earlobe pierced, Pastor. Is that right or wrong? I want to get the back of my earlobe pierced, and I want to run a chain from my ear to my nose. Is that right or that's wrong? My first question is, why do you want to do something like that? Is it necessary? Not only is it not necessary, but it could be an encumbrance. And Paul tells us, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, that we need to lay aside every sin and the weight that easily besets us. Because it could be an encumbrance. Number two, expediency. Expediency. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 
He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are what? Is it helpful? Is it helpful to you to, to pierce the back of your ear and run a chain from the back of your ear to your nose? Is that helpful? Maybe if you want a stock market, or maybe if you want a, uh, not a stock market, maybe if you want a cattle drive, but is that helpful? Expediency. Is it helpful or is it only desirable? Can't imagine that being desirable, but I'm using an extreme example. Number three, emulation. Emulation. What do you mean by that, Pastor? First John chapter 2, verse 6 gives you the idea of what we mean by emulation. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. In doing this course of action, is it making you more like Christ or more not like Christ? That's the question. That's the third checklist. It's the third point of the checklist. Is this thing going to make me more like Christ or less like Christ? Number four, example. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, let no man look down on your youthfulness. Don't let no man despise your youth, Timothy, but be what? Be an example. Be a model. By doing that, are you setting an example for other people to follow? Now, again, these are on doubtful things, not on the thou shalt not things. These are on doubtful things. Next, evangelism. Evangelism. Is, is my testimony going to be helpful or is it going to be hindered? Is it going to be helpful or is it going to be hindered? I'll give you a, give you a short story. When I was in high school, I went to a Christian high school, and the pastor was from, was from Alabama. And he had a deep accent. I mean, deep. I mean, he never could say my name right. I was never Shirley. I was never Mike. I was Brother Mac. I mean, he had a deep, deep accent. Well, before he got saved, he had long hair, about as long as Aunt Marilyn's hair. I mean, long hair. And he got saved. And this is his testimony, but he never cut his hair. He said, I went through some pain stakes. Because anybody knows, if you know this, a guy who has short hair that lets it grow out long, you got to worry about cowlicks, you got to worry about split ends, you got to worry about, I know that sounds feminine, but you, you just do. And so he went through some real pains with his stylist to try to get his hair, the cowlicks gone, the split ends gone, and all that. So even after he got saved, he didn't cut his hair. And he told me himself, he said he went up to a man to give him the gospel after he got saved. And he said, you know what the man told me? He says, you have nothing to say to me. Look at the length of your hair. Now, this is not a sermon on whether it's right or wrong for a man, how long a man's hair needs to be. But that is just an example that in that case, in that case, that hindered his evangelism. You know what he did? He went to his stylist to get his hair cut. His stylist refused to cut it. So he went to a barber and had it chopped off. And he never had a good hair to hair again. But in that case, it hindered, it hindered his evangelism. What's the point? Is what I'm considering doing, is it going to hinder my evangelism? Yeah, lay liberty aside, is it going to hinder my evangelism? Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward those that are what? Without, what does that mean? The unsaved people. Walk in wisdom toward those that are unsaved. Walk in wisdom. Next, edification. Edification. Will I be built up? Will it make me more mature in Christ? Will I become more spiritually strong by participating in this course of action? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things what? Edify not. 
Not everything is edifying. Exaltation. Here's the kicker. Will the Lord be lifted up and glorified in what I'm doing? Will the Lord be glorified and lifted up in what I'm doing? Because God's glory, church, and God's supremacy should be the supreme purpose behind everything that we do. And that's the kicker. Will this glorify God? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything, what church? To the glory of God. So those doubtful things, beware. Yeah, you've got liberty. But you make sure your liberty doesn't cause a brother in Christ to stumble. Because then that will cause him to sin and you to sin. Not that the action is sinful in and of itself. But the violation of the conscience is sinful. <coughs> and then everything. Ensure that Christ is glorified. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.